0: title of my sermon today is, Are You Dedicated? Are You Dedicated? Earlier this week, of course, former President George H.W. Bush, George Herbert Walker Bush passed away at the age of 94. 94 is a long time to live. I mean, that's just my perspective. 94 years, I I don't know, that's a long time to be alive. You know, before he was president, um, a lot of people said that he was the most qualified individual ever to become president. And this is some of his resume, if you want to call it that. Before he became president, he served as a member of the U.S. House of Representatives. He was the U.S. Ambassador to the United Nations. He was the Chief of the U.S. Liaison Office to the People's Republic of China. He was the Director of the CIA, and then finally, for eight years, he was Ronald Reagan's Vice President. But what I found most amazing about this guy is this story. You might have already heard about this. You know, at the age of 18, six months after Pearl Harbor, he enlisted in the Navy. And within a year, right before his 19th birthday, he gets his wings. He becomes the yo- one of the youngest aviators in the history of the Navy. I mean, pretty amazing thought. This guy was flying jets at eight, uh, 19 years old. I don't remember what I was doing at 19 years old, but it had nothing to do with flying an airplane. Uh, that's all I have to say. Uh, this, of course, made him, like I said, one of the mo- youngest aviators in the history of the Navy. Um, but on September 2nd of 1944, Bush was flying a mission near the Japanese island of, of Chichijima when his plane was hit by enemy fire despite the damage bush was able to complete the bombing raid scoring several hits before bailing out of his plane over the pacific ocean he clung to an inflatable raft for four hours before being rescued by a united states submarine i should have clicked down there's the submarine uh, the other individuals on his plane actually lost their lives so the, this that he was able to survive when everyone else um, lost their lives in the situation uh, following being rescued He continued on serving in the Navy until he ended up, um, of course, the war ended type thing, at which point he began the rest of his career. So here's kind of my point. The word that comes to mind that I think best describes this individual is dedication. Dedication. He was dedicated to his country. He was clearly dedicated to his family and his friends um, based on his love for his wife, who Barbara, of course, passed away not too long ago either. And he was even dedicated to complete strangers. If you guys were here on Thursday, you would have heard me tell the story about an EMT who wanted to go to medical school, and George H.W. Bush wrote him a letter of recommendation, and the day before George Bush passed away, the kid got accepted into the medical school. I mean, just a powerful thought. But of course, most importantly, the dedication of looking at all the people he was dedicated to, the most important um, element of that is the fact that George Bush was dedicated to his Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He was a faithful Christian. This morning, I want to talk to you guys about how we can be dedicated to God on the same level as our 41st President of the United States. But before we do, let's take a moment to go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Father in heaven, I thank you and I praise you for all that you've done. Bless us now as we enter your word. Allow us to focus on you and you alone. Allow us to allow your spirit to um, come through us. Help us understand what the text says. Help us understand what Luke had to say. And help us just know that you are a perfect and loving God. Help us know that we can dedicate our entire lives to you, either for salvation or for your service. I thank you and I praise you in your name. Amen. Turn with me to Luke chapter 8. Luke chapter 8. Luke chapter 8. For the past several months, we've been going through the Gospel of Luke. Since I've been here, we've been going through the Gospel of Luke. But for the past several weeks, we've been talking about responding appropriately to God's Word, and more specifically, to the Gospel message of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. In our text today, Luke continues on the subject of the Word of God, and us responding appropriately to it, by putting Jesus' dedication on display um, um, to his followers or his dedication to his followers on display. Let's look at the text. I'm gonna, it's only three verses, verse 19 to 21. I'm going to read verse 19 and 20, then I'm going to do some talking, and then I'll read verse 19 before I really get to the point of my sermon. So look at Luke chapter 8, verse 19 and 20. And his mother and brothers came to him, and they were unable to get to him because of the crowd. And it was reported to him, your mother and your brothers are standing outside wishing to see you. So, Mary, Jesus' mother, his earthly mother, not earthly mother, his mother, his literal mother, and some of his brothers wanted to visit with Christ. The Christmas story, according to the Gospel of Matthew, tells us that Joseph kept Mary a virgin until she gave birth. Sunday school, we learned about that this morning in Sunday school. Luke's account of the Christmas story tells us that Jesus was Mary's firstborn son. My point is that Joseph did not have sexual relations with Mary before she was born, or before Jesus was born. The two had other children, including these sons, after the fact. Two of the possible sons are actually authors of New Testament books. Uh, the go- not the gospel, but the epistle of James was written by Jesus' stepbrother or half-brother James. And, and of course the book of Jude is the same. The that short letter of Jude was written by Judas, Jesus, another one of Jesus' brothers. It's very likely that these two individuals were present with his mom, trying to speak with him in, in the context of our my lesson of our my sermon this morning, of our, our text this morning. Matthew tells us that Jesus' um, Jesus' family was seeking to speak to him, while Mark simply says that they were standing outside and sent word to him and called him. Uh, So what prevented them from seeking him out? What prevented them from walking right up to Jesus and talking to him? Luke clearly tells us. Luke tells us that they were unable to get to him because of the crowd. The crowd had gathered around him to hear him speak, to hear him preach. And it was so great that they couldn't get any closer. Mary and Joseph were on the outside of that. Or not Mary and Joseph. Mary and her children were on the outside of that crowd. They were unable to get through the crowd to get to Jesus. Now look at verse 21. And this is really the essence of my my sermon this morning. Verse 21. But he answered and said to them. Jesus answered and said to the crowd in front of him. Not specifically to his parents, but to the crowd in front of him. I believe the other Gospels tell us that he spoke directly to the, the messengers bringing this information to him. He said, my mother and my brothers are these who hear the word of God and do it. And let me read it again. My mother and my brothers are these who do or hear the word of God and do it. Jesus tells us, Jesus tells the crowd that the, and those around him that the word, that, that, okay, let me read this again. Jesus tells the crowd that those who hear and do the word of God are his family. Kind of a powerful thought. Matthew and Mark recorded it slightly different. Uh, the Gospel of Matthew records it this way. In Matthew chapter 12, verse 48 to 50. But Jesus answered the one who was telling him and said, Who is my mother and who are my brothers? And stretching out his hand towards his disciples, he said, Behold my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my Father, who is in heaven, he is my brother and my sister and, and my mother. So, the will of God is God's plan, right? The will of God in your life is what God wants you to do in your life, what God wants you to, to be doing, what God, how God wants you to react in any particular situation, God's will is found in God's word. So I'm not going to dwell on God's will because Luke doesn't use that terminology. My point is kind of that they're the same thing. You know, when we look for God's will, I would tell you, open up your word and you will find the will of God. And that's what Jesus is saying according to Luke. So when I think about Luke chapter 8, verse 19 to 20, just like I said before, when I think about George H.W. Bush, I think about dedication. That's the word that came to my mind. The Merriam-Webster Dictionary defines dedication as a devoting or setting aside for a particular purpose. So when you're dedicated to something, you are literally setting aside other things in dedication to whatever you're dedicating yourself to. So what Jesus is saying is that he, he is dedicating himself to his followers. That's kind of what I'm getting at here. Of course, I found this type of dedication from from two different perspectives inside our text, which are my two points this morning. First of all, we have, oh, I should have read you that before, there, it's on the screen. First of all, we have Jesus' dedication, Jesus' dedication. Jesus was and is dedicated to his followers. He placed them in the category of family. Jesus' followers clearly included those present when he was speaking these words, but I think they include us today as well. We are his followers. Anyone who can say they are a Christian, that, are, that someone who is following Jesus, you fall into this category of follower of Christ and thus part of the family of God. So how was Jesus dedicated to his family? I was thinking about this before. First of all, the biggest way, the, the way we can see uh, the dedication, the sacrifices Jesus makes is how we see this dedication. You know, he put aside his earthly family in exchange for his spiritual family. You know, he, he could have said, stop, and all oh, time out, everyone get out of the way, i got to get to my mother. i got to get to my brothers. That's not what he did, though. He put his spiritual family before his earthly family, which I find very powerful. Of course, we know he performed some amazing miracles, for the family of God. He healed some of the family members of the family of God. He also proved and provided some very sound teaching to his family. I'm preaching about some of that now. We preached about it last week. You know, we are, we're preaching the literal teaching of Jesus. I am telling you about what he taught. So he gave us some very beneficial words of wisdom, if you want to call it that, but most importantly, the most amazing sacrifice that Jesus made was that sacrifice he made in dying for us on the cross to forgive us of our sins and rising from the grave so that we can go to heaven when we die. Guess what? It wouldn't be a very good family to be in. The family of God wouldn't be a very good family to be a part of if it wasn't for Jesus' sacrificial death and his resurrection to redeem us and send us to heaven. Go ahead and turn with me to 1 John chapter 5. You don't have to turn if you don't have a Bible, but if you'd like look in front of you, there are some Bibles in front of you. We're going to be doing this kind of throughout my sermon this morning. For some reason, it's just larger chunks of Scripture, so it's easier to turn there. So I'm going to read 1 John chapter 5, verse 5 to verse 12. First John chapter 5, verse 5 to verse 12 says this. Who is the one who overcomes the world? "...but he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. This is the one who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ, not with the water only, but with the water and with the blood. It is the Spirit who testifies, because the Spirit is the truth. For there are three that testify, the Spirit and the water and the blood, and the three are in agreement. If we receive the testimony of men, the testimony of God is greater." For the testimony of God is this, that he, was, that he has testified concerning his son. The one who believes in the son of God has the testimony in himself. The one who does not believe God has made him, meaning God, a liar. Because he has not believed in the testimony that God has given concerning his son. And then verse 11 and 12 are the key. And the testimony is this. That God has given us eternal life. And this life is in his, son, in his son. He who has the son has life. He who does not have the son does not have the life. Bottom line. We are able to praise God and give praise to him and lift him up because of eternal life that he has given us. The eternal life that he has poured upon us. Salvation was presented to all the world and that's the most awesome element of Jesus' dedication to us. He was so dedicated to you that 2,000 years ago, or at least 2,000, or like almost 2,000 years ago, Jesus chose to die for you. Think about that for a second. I mean, if, imagine if I told you that you needed, to make, you needed to give your life now for someone 2,000 years from now. You'd be like, what in the world are you talking about? But that's what Jesus did. He gave his life now. He gave his life 2,000 years ago to save us now. Of course, he saved everyone else in between as well. He saved those present at that time. He saved those of the early church in those years, the last what 1,900 and something years. And he's going to continue saving. His salvation is once and for all. It's good. It's forever. It's done. All you got to do is embrace it. In order to be in the family of God, you need to accept Jesus' free gift of salvation. All the information you need to decide to follow Jesus is found right here in the Word of God. Just like Jesus says, now the ball is in your court. Are you dedicated to Jesus? The second type of dedication that I found in our text is a Christian's dedication. A Christian's dedication. Christians need to be dedicated to Christ in all parts of their life. We need to give everything up to Him. So the question I have is how? How can we be dedicated to Jesus? Well, simple be in the family of God. Well, how can we be in the family of God? Jesus tells us, look at your text again, back to Luke chapter 8, uh, verse 21. It says, my mother and my brothers are these who hear the word of God and do it. You see that? Two ways we can be, or the two, really one way combined together. We need to not only be hearers of the word of God, we need to be doers of the word of God. This, of course, starts with salvation, right? It starts with salvation. You imagine, if I, imagine if you obeyed every element that this book said except the very basic element of accepting Jesus as your Lord and Savior. This would be useless. All the stuff in there is great. It's good. It's beneficial. It's uplifting, but it's not salvation-wise. It's not going to give you salvation. You need it in order to be saved If you obey every part of this, but don't obey the most basic element of the gospel message of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, this is useless. This is nothing. Turn with me to Romans chapter 10 now. Turn with me to Romans chapter 10. Romans chapter 10. I'm going to read verse 5 down to verse 13 of Romans chapter 10. Romans chapter 10, starting at verse 5. For Moses writes that, man who practices, that the man who practices the righteousness which is based on law shall live by that righteousness. But the righteousness based on faith speaks as follows. Do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven, that is, to bring Christ down, or who will descend into the abyss, that is, to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth, and in your heart. That is the word of faith which we are preaching. That if you confess with your mouth, Jesus says, Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart a person believes, resulting in righteousness, and with the mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. For the scripture says, whoever believes in him will not be disappointed, for there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord is Lord of all, abounding in riches for all who call on him, for whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved." Bottom line, Jesus says, believe in me and confess that belief outwardly and you will be saved. That's all that it takes. And again, that's the most important element of it. But there is still more. It starts with salvation, but after salvation, we need to grow in our faith. I mean, imagine if we had a child, but we never fed that child. We gave very minimal nourishment, or we just stuck to milk. That child's not going to grow to the person that God wants that kid to become. They're going to be malnourished. We need to continue to grow in our faith after salvation. We grow in our faith by hearing the word of God and doing the word of God. A great example of this for me was Cameron cleaning her room, right? Imagine if I went and I told Cameron to clean her room and she didn't do it. She wouldn't have followed through on the words that I said. Me telling you to do something in here, preaching this, it makes you feel real good on Sunday, but you go home and you don't actually do it? What's the point of me telling you what's going on? Just like Cameron, she would be, you know, I, I would not be very happy if she didn't clean her room. Of course, she's the bad example. She cleans her room. It's the other one that just leaves it a mess. But what I was told is that Cameron has learned that it's easier to play in Katie's room and then just leave afterwards and leave that room a mess instead of letting Katie play in her own room. So that's what I learned. That's what I was told. Turn to me to James chapter 1 now. James chapter 1. Let's talk about James. This is James. This is Jesus' brother. Let's listen to what he has to say about not only being hearers of the word, but also doers of the word. James chapter 1, verse 19 to verse 25. This is near the end of your Bible. After all of the writings of Paul, you have Hebrews. Then you have the book of James. James chapter 1, and we're going to stay in James a little bit after this as well. Uh, let's start off by looking at verse 19 down to verse 25. Verse 19 to 25 says this. Again, this is Jesus' his brother. Very, very likely he was present with Mary at this point. He might have had this interaction with Christ. So these words might have, the words that he wrote here might have been influenced by what, just what we're studying in our text this morning. Uh, verse 19 says, This you know, my beloved brethren, but everyone must be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. For the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. Therefore, putting aside all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness and humility, receive the word implanted, which is able to save your souls. But prove yourselves doers of the word and not merely hearers who delude themselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks at his natural face in the mirror for who for once he has looked at himself and gone away he has immediately forgotten what kind of person he was but one who looks intently at the perfect law the law of liberty and abides by it not having become a forgetful hearer but an effectual doer this man will be will be blessed in what he does. You see, we need to be doers of the word of God, not just hearers. Don't just hear it. I'm very happy you're here this morning. I'm very happy that you're able to hear me preach the word of God. That's good. It's a cool, an important element. What's the point of being here listening to the preacher preach if you're not going to apply it to your lives afterwards? It's almost like, you know, I, I, I've gotten a speeding ticket or two in my life. It's like getting those speeding tickets and not learning from them. You know, eventually you're going to lose your license. It's not going to work out for you. The same is true of our faith. We need to continue growing in our faith. And when we grow in our faith, we're going to stop falling to the sinful behaviors that we participate in. We're going to be able to step aside from them and continue walking forward in the Lord. That's what needs to happen. You know, I'm happy that you're here this morning. I really am. But if we only hear the word and not apply it to our lives, what good is that going to to do for us. We need to do the word of God. Doing God's word means living it. Living it, living for God. We say, what would Jesus do, right? And I know that's such an old cliche now, but what would Jesus do? I mean, imagine if we literally asked that question for every activity we ever participate in. No matter what it is, no matter how hard or how easy it is, what would Jesus do in this situation? And then we followed through with what he did. It's easy to ask the question. It's hard to do it. It's do the answer, right? You're asking what would Jesus do? But when the answer comes to you, are you going to do it? And that's what I think what what Jesus is telling us to do, and clearly what James is telling us to do. So how we doers of the word, Let's now look at James chapter two. James chapter two, verse fourteen down to verse twenty six. What use is it, my brethren, if someone says he has faith, but he has no works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is without clothing and in need of daily food, and one of you says to them, Go in peace, be warmed and be filled, and yet you do not give them what is necessary for their body, what use is that? Even so, faith, if it is by itself, if it has no works, is dead, being it by itself." But someone will may well say, "You have faith, and I have works. Show me your faith without the works, and I will show you my faith by my works." You believe that God is one. You do well. The demons also believe and shudder. But are you willing to recognize, you foolish fellow, that faith without works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up Isaac his son on the altar? You see that faith was working with his works. And as a result of his works, faith was perfected. And the scripture was fulfilled, which says, And Abraham believed God, and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. And he was called the friend of God. Then verse 24, You see that a man is justified by works, by works and not by faith alone. In the same way, Was not Rahab the harlot also justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way? For just as the body without the spirit is dead, so also faith without works is dead. Bottom line, we need to serve God. We need to do what he says. We need to follow through with what he says in the word of God. Don't just believe it, live it. We need to serve God. We serve God by growing in our faith. We serve God by talking to Him through prayer, listening to Him through His Word, and fellowship with Him through His church, through discipleship. Um, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11 and 12 says, And He gave some as apostles and some as prophets and some as evangelists and some as pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of service to the building up the body of Christ. My job as the pastor is to equip you to serve God. My job as the pastor is to build you up in your faith. If you're not being built up, if you're not growing in your faith, if you're not serving God, I'm doing something wrong. And we all need to figure out what that is so we can work together to grow in our faith, to grow closer to the Lord. We serve God also by helping others. You know, When is the last time you helped someone who is less fortunate than you are? And I feel that we do a lot of this here at this church. There's a lot of opportunities you know, to help other people. You know, we have the the you know the, the the Niles community services we do. We have the nursing home. We we support the Warren family mission. We do a lot to help other people. But when is the last time you helped another person? Are you a sheep or a goat? Finally, let's finish things off by turning to Matthew chapter 25. Now you can leave Luke, leave everything else. I'm gonna finish off, or I'm about to head towards my conclusion in Matthew chapter 25, and I'm gonna read this amazing section of scripture which Jesus gave us. Um, regarding the end of times, but has a very um, strong application for us as well. Matthew chapter 25, verse 31, all the way down to the end of the chapter. Matthew chapter 25, verse 31. But when the Son of Man comes in his glory, and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate them from one another, as the shepherd separates the sheep from the goats and he will put the sheep on his right and the goats on the left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in, naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you, and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? And when did we see you a stranger and invite you in or naked and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and come to you? The king will answer and say to them, Truly I say to you, to the extent that you did it to one of these brothers of mine, even the least of them, you did it to me. Then he will also say to those on his left, "'Depart from me, accursed ones, into the eternal fire, "'which has been prepared for the devil and his angels. "'For I was hungry, and you gave me nothing to eat. "'I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. "'I was a stranger, and you did not invite me in, "'naked, and you did not clothe me, sick and in prison, "'and you did not visit me. "'Then they themselves also will answer, "'Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty "'or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison?' and did not take care of you, then he will say to them, and then he will answer them, truly I say to you, to the extent that you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. These will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. Of course, this is in reference to Jesus. Jesus is there every time we go out and do something, every time there's a homeless person sitting on the side of the road, every time someone is Begging for money. Jesus is there begging for us to help. Begging for us to step up and do something about it. What you do for the less fortunate, what you do to the least of these, you are literally doing for Jesus. Be dedicated to Jesus by growing in your faith and helping other people. Let me close up. So Christians need to be dedicated to Jesus to the very end. Uh, Sometimes things don't go our way. Sometimes life throws us a curveball. An illness takes over, takes over our lives, and something um, that someone that we love so greatly passes away. As you guys know, um, uh, in a couple of hours, we're going to celebrate Gary Dodgel's life. You know, I, I didn't get a, a, a lot of an opportunity to get to know Gary as well as a lot of you guys did. But one thing that I, I did learn is that he was truly an amazing man. And we see this through his actions. You know, he was a social worker and he worked with some of the, the truly the least of these brothers of mine. As Jesus says, he cared for his family very much, especially his wife, Tracy, whom he loved with all his heart. Gary even loved his church family. He served right here at Central for all those years. But most importantly, Gary loved his Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, the kind of the same way that George Bush did. That's kind of my tie-in here. Gary dedicated his life to Jesus Christ, and as a result, there is no doubt in my mind that he is currently standing in the presence of God looking down upon us right now. But the question I have for you is this. How about you, Are you dedicated to Christ? Matthew tells us the words of Jesus in Matthew chapter 16, verse 24. If anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Have you put your full faith in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Have you dedicated your all to Christ and serving him? Are you following Jesus with self-denial in the cross upon your shoulder? If not, now is your time to give it to him. Now is your time to say, God, I'm here for you. I'm going to do whatever you tell me to do. I'm going to go where you tell me to go. And I'm going to serve you, however that may be. Take up your cross and follow Jesus. Let's pray. Dear Father in heaven, I thank you and I praise you now for all that you've done. Bless us now as we remember remember who you are and how awesome of a God you are. Help us know that you are just such a great and loving Father in heaven. Help us realize that you and you alone can save us. We praise you, we thank you, in your wonderful name, amen.